It's Friday 6th of October and this is your Capital Economics Weekly Briefing. I'm David Wilder. This week, dramatic sell-off in global bond markets. Things had been a bit calmer the past day or so, but then September payrolls came out. Now, I just don't know if this podcast episode is a post-mortem on the sell-off or just a half-time report before yields take another leg up. To find out, I'm joined once again by Group Chief Economist Neil Shearing, but we also have a special guest this week in the shape of Jonas Goldman, who's our Deputy Chief Markets Economist. Hi, Neil. Hi, Jonas. Hi, David. Hello, David. Jonas, let's start with you. Friday afternoon, London time, 10-year Treasury yield is around 4.8% as we're speaking. So really not that far off that pre-GFC high it hit just a few days ago. Talk us through how we got to this point. It's a range of factors, really. It depends on when you want to start counting. But I think a good place to start is sort of mid-July when it looked for a while like interest rates, expectations and bond yields were coming down. But they have really sort of started accelerating really from that point and we're up, whatever it is, 80 plus basis points at this point on looking at the 10-year yield. So I think there's been really two stages to it. And the first bet, sort of July, August and so on, it was really driven mainly by monetary policy. Well, really strong growth numbers validating the FOMC's higher for longer mantra that they've been peddling for quite a while now. But the, the strong data has really supported that and, you know, obviously points to higher interest rates both over the next couple of years, but perhaps also in the medium term. So in that sense, it was a positive story, right? Um, but I think increasingly there's another aspect to this, which is a bit more worrying. And that is the fact that, you know, over the past month or so, and, and, and increasingly since the, the September FOMC meeting, the sell-off in the bond market has been increasingly concentrated in the long end. And it's mainly been driven not by expectations for interest rates over the next couple of years, but what we call term premium, which is sort of catch-all phrase that, that covers a multitude of sins, really, but it's all the things uh, in bonds that are not to do with interest rate expectations. And the big one there is fiscal policy and the expectations for current and future supply of long-term government bonds. And that's been going up because of the way fiscal policy in the US is trending towards ever larger deficits, something which has been highlighted by the ongoing standoff in, in the US Congress around next year's budget. It comes just a few months after the debt ceiling debacle back in all the way back in May and June, if you're old enough to remember that. And so it's just a sort of confluence of things that point to higher bond yield. I should add a final thing, which is more or less unrelated to the US, and that is the Bank of Japan, again, back during the summer, loosening the constraints of its yield curve control policy, which is obviously anchored Japanese bond yields, but because Japan is a, a large economy with a very, very large uh, savings account, has also acted as, a, as an anchor on bond yields globally. So it's sort of all of those things coming together to, to create this perfect storm for bond markets. And I think that's why we're seeing yields continuing to move up. A lot to unpack there. And we're going to again to some of those issues. Before we do, though, put this in context. The 10-year is up nearly 100 basis points since mid-year. We've had big sell-off in the 80s in the bond market. In, in 1994 is a famous one, 2003, 2013. How does what's going on at the moment compare with these uh, historical episodes? Well, it's increasingly on par with those things. I mean, you could also have said the bond sell-off of 2022, which is, you know, this is really just an extension of that. And if you take it from where we were at the start of, of 2022 or at the depths of the pandemic, it's, it's certainly it's the biggest bond sell-off in my lifetime. And it's, you know, it's a big adjustment for for bond markets, but, you know, because 
bond markets are the discount rate for for every other market as well. It's it's a big adjustment all around, and and you know obviously it's been at times quite volatile, but scary. But if you put it in that context, it's been remarkably orderly, really. You know, a few financial institutions have failed, but nothing particularly essential. And you know, the equity market is it's down today. It's down past few weeks. Still, some way it's all time peak back from twenty twenty two, but it's down that much. It, I guess what I'm trying to say is, it sounds pretty bad, but it could have been a lot worse. But still, pretty big move. One will probably be boring our grandchildren uh, about a few years. Hence, I mean, a trillion dollar question is 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 where do we go from here? Obviously, we've seen that that very sharp response to the September payrolls report. But looking further out in the coming weeks, coming months, where are yields going? I mean, what is the outlook? Well, I think it's hard to call the top because I think we've done that at least twice already. And we and pretty much everyone else, a lot of other people have been calling for a peak in yields. We did that in the summer. We did it, I think, early this year around the time of the banking crisis because that really looked like something that was going to put pay to the bond market sell-off and, and put us back into yeah, the old world of financial risks and deflation. But, but here we are. I think the way I would put this is that you know, if you look at the economic factors, the sort of the outlook for growth and inflation, we still think that the US economy is going to be slowing today's payrolls. You know, there's the headline number was very hot, but some of the sort of below the line stuff, if you will, was a bit more mixed. You know, earnings growth, for example, it continues to come down. It's certainly now consistent with 2% inflation, if you just look at that at least. And inflation, you know, in the wider sense, as measured in the CPI report, has also moderate is significantly it's basically running at a pace of two percent over the past three months it's just a question of can we maintain that so you know and and that in turn points to the fed shifting towards easing sooner rather than later we don't think they're going to do another hike in november the markets are 50 50 whether they're done or not but the you know they are going to take into account the economy if we're right the economy slows and inflation is is coming back to target then they're going to shift towards easing probably quite a bit sooner than what's now discounted in the market. Those things all point to lower bond yields, lower interest rate expectations at least. So, so that component of, of the bond yield. Where it's a bit trickier, and I think there's a lot less certainty around, is what happens to the term premium? What happens to the fiscal outlook? And is there going to be, you know, the, could there be a sort of a mechanical failure, if you will, in the bond market that just sort of amplifies this move and, and sends yields a lot higher in the short term, as we sort of as we saw last year in the UK around the, the trustonomics. I think there is, this, you know, certainly the way things are going, there's a big risk of, of something along those lines happening that perhaps pushes yields quite a bit higher in the short term. But in the next two, three quarters, I still think most of the signs point to, to lower bond yields. Yeah, I wanted to get on to that point about about the risks of something breaking here. Neil, you wrote a note earlier this week for clients outlining the, the macro risks from what's going on uh, in this sell-off. What are, we've already seen, as you alluded in your note, to, to what happened with the, the trust budget last year and, and with the SVB collapse earlier this year. What are the risks that something goes wrong here? Yeah, yield at this level, do they, do they threaten financial stability? And if they do, where to look? Where will we see the breakages occur? Yeah, I think that's the right question to be asking. Clearly, just higher yields for longer will present an economic headwind in and of itself. And financial conditions indices have been picking up over the past few weeks. Uh, so, so that will slow the economy and it adds, as Jonas says, to, to our view that we think the US economy 
uh, and indeed other economies in Europe are, are heading for a mild recession at some point over the next couple of quarters. But the real question now, I think, given the severity of the moves, is are we actually heading for something more serious, uh, a financial stability type event, if you will? And in a note that we published earlier this week, um, we identified two channels really through which this could morph into something a bit more serious that threaten financial stability. One is if there's a large, systemically important institution that suffers large losses on its bond portfolio that is then forced to recognize somehow that creates a crisis of solvency for that institution. Someone somewhere in the financial system has to bear that loss. There's often uncertainty about where that loss sits and that uncertainty itself creates the kind of financial spillovers and ripples to, to other parts of the system. So there's the kind of solvency question around large institutions, issues on the, on the asset size of their balance sheets. The second channel is that fears about current or future losses cause a crisis of confidence and therefore a pullback on the liability side of institutions' balance sheets. In other words, depositors withdraw from a particular bank or a, a particular fund faces a run. That then forces it to divest assets and that in turn forces them to crystallize losses and, and precipitates uh, problems on the asset side of their balance sheet. So there's a lot of ways this can morph, uh, but they're the two channels. What we learn from history is that that's more likely to happen in institutions where there's large amounts of leverage and where there's been large moves in asset prices. It's not so much the level of asset prices and asset prices crossing a particular threshold. It's more large shifts and big shifts in, in those prices. If you're looking for a crumb of comfort, the, the moves we've seen so far in bond markets are slightly smaller than we saw in, in and around the LDI crisis in the UK last year. And of course, there's less leverage in aggregate in the financial system than was the case, say, 15 years ago. But they're pretty small crumbs of comfort given the risks posed by these big shifts in prices that we've seen over the past couple of weeks. And those FCIs you mentioned, I'll, I'll put them on the podcast page because they are a really good, almost real-time way of tracking access to credit ease in, in, in DM. Speaking of developed markets, I mean, you, you did touch on the recession risk, but I guess the point that's worth making is this isn't just a US treasury market story. This isn't just a US story. What are the growth risks around what's happening in bond markets, not just in the US, but also in the Eurozone? And also we're seeing yields mm -hmm. on uh, long dated gilts rising sharply as well this Friday afternoon. We've been forecasting recessions in most major DMs this year. In at least some of these economies, the data has suggested greater resilience than we'd anticipated. Is a rise in, in, in global government bond yields, as we're seeing, something that could push these economies over the edge? Well, I think it is. I mean, it depends a bit on how long this goes on for, for how long yields stay at their current level. But as Jonas did a good job, I think, at the start, setting out the, the, the chronology of, of these events. At the start of September, after the FOMC meeting, the sell-off in the bond market was principally a US phenomenon. Indeed, yields in the UK fell after that dovish MPC meeting. Uh, last month, if you can remember all the way back then. It's really over the last couple of weeks or so that it's morphed into something more global. And we've seen yields in the Eurozone rise. We've seen yields, of course, in Japan rise. We've seen yields in the UK rise and, and of course, the US. Now, so far, you're right. The, the big story of this year really has been the resilience of economies in the face of tighter monetary policy. We have put our neck on the line. We've said that we thought there would be recessions in major advanced economies albeit mild one. And so far, we've been proved wrong. There's a couple of reasons for that. We've been doing a lot of thinking around why recessions have not materialized. I think one is the change in structure of maturity structure of debt, which means that the shift towards more fixed rates 
debt means that the, the, the pass through from tighter monetary policies, the real economy has got a bit longer. Uh, also, I think it's fair to say that fiscal policy and fiscal support during the pandemic has given more um, support to, to households than we have perhaps uh, anticipated through the accumulation of, of savings. So they've lasted a bit longer than we had, uh, had thought. But I think that both of those props are starting to weaken uh, as time goes by. The, the effects of tighter monetary policy will, will continue to feed through to the real economy. We think about half of it's been felt already, so another half to come. And of course, the, the savings, we put a piece out on the, our US service uh, a couple of months ago saying that we thought that most of the savings accumulated during the pandemic had now been exhausted. And certainly Ben Broadbent, the Deputy Governor of the Bank of England, made the same point uh, with respect to the UK early this week. So I think both of those props are weakening. And now we have on top of that, the effect of this, the, these higher bond yields. I think you put all that together, it's a pretty ugly mix. Uh, and we're already starting to see, we've got data over the past week, mortgage applications in the US, they're 28 year low. We've now got mortgage rates at a 23 year high. I mean, it's gonna be pretty ugly for housing market activity, construction activity, I think over the next six months or so, but I suspect it will start to morph out from those those rate-sensitive parts of the economy over the next six to nine months as well. I'd like to pick up on something Jonas said, Neil, if I may, about, about term premia. We had so-called bond vigilantes back in the press this past week saying that what's been happening in the treasury market is basically investors putting the Biden administration on notice about fiscal deficits. Uh, is this something that governments are going to have to pay much more attention to now that we're well past the pandemic and the era of ultra low rates appears to be over? The problem with term premium is it's all the stuff that we don't understand. I think that's the best way of thinking about it. Obviously, Bond yield comprises expectations of short-term interest rates, and then there's a term premium that, that rewards bondholders for holding a long-dated asset rather than a sequence of short-dated assets. But the trouble is that a lot of stuff that we don't understand about the bond market gets lumped into that term premium. And that then means that once that term premium starts to move, either up or down, you get this laundry list of different reasons as to why that may have happened. And in this instance, it's ranged from regulation to liquidity-driven events, to concerns about inflation and uncertainty around that, and now, of course, fiscal policy. And, you know, for, for what it's worth, and notwithstanding the fact that we can't be too sure about what's driving the term premium, I think there are probably two things at play. One is greater uncertainty about the inflation outlook over the long term. That would lead investors to, to demand a higher premium for holding long-dated assets. And then the second is, as you say, a realisation that the fiscal policy is structurally looser after the pandemic and the role of governments in economies is, is structurally larger. Now, that's not something that's happened overnight. That's not something that happened at the start of September and then has precipitated this bond market sell-off. Rather, I think the way that markets tend to work is they feed off narratives. I think the rise in yields has just led to this realization that actually fiscal positions aren't quite as stable as, as many had assumed. Actually, I'd encourage everyone to go back and read something on our Eurozone service about the Italian public finance situation, uh, which is looking increasingly a bit worrying over the medium term as well, that we published over the, over the past week. So I think fiscal policy is one part of it. I think inflation uncertainty, that might be playing a role. Over and above all of this, the big story in the last 15 years or so is the collapse in term premium in the wake of the global financial crisis. We've argued for a while that we thought that was unsustainable, term premium would start to, to rise. And I think this is what's been playing out over the past over the past week or so, it's, it's really the kind of payback from that big compression of term premium that always looks a bit uns unsustainable over the past decade or so. We talked about the end of the ultra low rate era. Talk about where we're heading now. And once 
rates settle once we get past this post-pandemic inflationary burst, uh, presumably once the bond markets calm down, what does the, the longer term picture look like for, for interest rates? Yes, great question. The, I think that the first point to say is that when you put together the picture of a kind of weakening economy, the fact that inflation has been falling further and a bit faster than the markets expected, and certainly far, further and faster than the central banks had expected, that payrolls number, bumper payrolls number that we had uh, earlier today, but the earnings number um, a bit softer too. So I think put that picture together, that suggests to me that the, the sell-off and bond markets in the near term has gone a bit too far. Um, so I suspect that we'll see over the next three, six months or so, that yields start to to edge down again. And I accept the point Jonas was saying earlier, it's very difficult to talk, call the top. But I suspect the next big move in yields will probably be will be down. The question is how far and uh, and where will they ultimately settle? We're about to produce a major piece of work on equilibrium real interest rates. Uh, that's going to go out on the 17th of October. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. Uh, but in essence, our argument is going to be that actually our star, so equilibrium real rates, is higher, structurally higher now than was the case over the last 15 years or so for, for a variety of reasons, including shifts in savings, investment behavior, but also uh, what we see as an improved outlook for productivity growth. Put all of that together, we think that probably our star was probably 0.5 to 1-ish coming into the pandemic. It's now probably 1 to 1.5, something like that in the US. Uh, we think it might get as high as 2 2% uh, by the end of this decade. Add in 2% inflation. And so you end up with kind of nominal rates somewhere in the kind of three and a half to, to four-ish range. And I suspect that's where they'll start to settle. Yep. And as you say, that work's coming out 17th of October. Loads in. It's a, it's, a, it's a meaty report, but it also does talk about the market implications. Jonas, I know you've been, you've been involved in that as well. That Italy fiscal policy piece that you mentioned, Neil, I'm going to put that on the podcast page as well. But I think we want to wrap it up there. Uh, thank you both for, for joining me. The weekly briefing will be back again on the 16th of October. So just before that, Ask Star Work. Subscribe if you want to receive regular episodes and, and look out for all the analysis and events that we reference in these podcasts on our website, capitaleconomics.com. But until next time, goodbye. Whilst this podcast is provided with all reasonable skill and care, it comprises the subjective views of our economists. Furthermore, these views are not opinions, nor do they constitute investment or financial advice, or are they guarantees or reassurances to the expected results of any investment products or outcome. You should seek your own specific advice in relation to questions you may have. We will have no liability to you in relation to this podcast whatsoever.